University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Jesus told a story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verse 11, that went like this. There was a man who had two sons, and the youngest hurls the greatest possible insult at his father, demanding that he receive the money now that he would get when his father died. A request like this in Jesus' day would have minimum been met with a backhand to the face, or worse, a stoning of this son. But the most difficult and perplexing aspect of this story is that the father doesn't respond to the youngest son with hostility or retaliation. Instead, the father gets the money, gives it to the boy, and sends him on his way. What is he thinking? How could he do this? How could he let this young, disrespectful, inexperienced, irresponsible, and untrustworthy son go into the world with all of that money. And what's at the heart of the youngest son's request is a rejection of home. He's rejecting the lifestyle and tradition that he was raised in. He's rejecting the very culture of his family's living, the world as he knows it. He, he wants to reject everything except the money that will sustain him where he wants to run off to. And he is purging himself of the world as he know it, his home, his family, his father. What is home anyways? Home is, is the center of our being. Home is the place where we are born and reared and shaped into who we are and what we are becoming. Home is the place that we find rest and belonging. Home should be a place where we do not find fear and rejection. Home should be a place without condition and without stipulation. Home should be where we find life. There's nothing like coming home after a long day's worth of work. You just feel the comfort of changing out of work clothes into those oversized shorts and t-shirt and falling into the couch. Home is where I long to go to in, in the summer times when I was in college, when I was overseas serving in the mission field, just to return back to this place of belonging. Home, when I was in high school, was that place I came to after Friday night football games where dad would encourage me after my play. Home is where I come home now and I have two little girls that come screaming and running up to me saying, Daddy. Home is where I find love and acceptance. Home is where I find individual dreams intertwined for, for where I find connectedness and, and marriage and parenting and sonship and brotherhood. What's home to you? You see, this young son has chosen a distant country over home. And why? What brought him to this point? What voices did he choose to reject what voices drew him out to this foreign place? You see, for, for some of us, home hasn't been where the heart is. 
Home isn't a place of joy and love. Home is a steady reminder of your past or maybe even the chains that bind you now. And so you might run from home. For others, I wonder how often we leave home. How often do we flee from the hands of identity and comfort only to choose the hands that are far off places searching for what is already at home? For some, home can become a place of contention. We become resentful to the voices of home, and so our hearts yearns for, for something outside of the walls of familiarity. And when you've become deaf to the voices at home and choose to listen to the voices of others instead, what is that distant place you have to run to? Have you left home on your journey? What are you going to go find? And beyond the social and familial connections, we too connect to this boy's decision. We too choose to reject God as home. You see, in God we find light and love and fulfillment and hope, yet voices that we conceive within ourselves and people around us, we conceive them as if they are better than God. And for some, we've left God in a dead sprint. For others, it was a gradual process over time. But we all have left God's home emotionally and spiritually and physically and mentally. But what amazes us about this story, about this parable, isn't just the son, because most of us at some level can resonate with him. What fascinates about this story is the father. Clothed with immense legal and social power to cripple his youngest son, the father chose to give the boy what he wants and lets him go. Jesus uses two key words here. The first is usias, which means property or substance. This is what the son asked for in verse 12 when he says he wants a share of his father's property or substance. But what's fascinating in verse 12, when it says the father divided up the usias, Jesus says that he gave the youngest son his bayon, his life. The boy wants property and the father gives him his life. Twice now, The father has given this boy life. The day he was born, and now he gives this life away for him to go off to a foreign country. You see, for some, we just can't shake the father. We we just want to tell him that he's making a biggest mistake. Don't you know what this boy is going to do? Don't you know he's going to ruin his life? Don't you know he's going to get hurt? He's going to experience immeasurable suffering. He's going to screw up, so just don't let him go. But the father loves his son in the way that many of us do not understand. He loves his son unconditionally. He loves his son whether or not he takes the money and runs. He loves his son enough to let him choose for himself what he wants to do with his life. But unfortunately, this is not the story of a young son beating the odds. We knew he was destined to fail. He rejected home to find it in another form. He went searching and he never finds what he's looking for. He left this place without condition to go into a world that is full of conditional love and satisfaction. You see, he goes forth into this world, and for a short period of time, he thinks he finds what he's looking for, but he runs out of everything. 
he quickly finds that he is lost in this foreign country, not geographically, but lost in his identity, in his possessions, in his wealth, in his relationships, and in his direction. He no longer is treated as a human being, but is just a slop boy who feeds the filthy and disgusting pigs with their mushy slop. And he's degraded so much in his circumstances. He's lost everything that all he wants to do is to hire himself out to feed pigs. And he wants to eat the slop that the pigs are eating. He says, Jesus gets to this point in the story. His Jewish audience would have been revolted. This son now would be even more untouchable because he's feeding and touching swine. You see, his dreams, his hopes, his plans are now dissipated. There's no more money. Therefore, whatever he was going to do is no longer possible. This is true lostness. Failure, loneliness, sorrow, despair. The proverbial pen has popped his balloon and the pig filth is all over him. In 1970, Simon and Garfunkel released their fifth studio album, Bridge Over Troubled Water. And this album is the likes of Cecilia and Bridge Over Troubled Water and El Condo Paso and the song for Asking. In the previous spring, the, the studio decided to release a single from the album uh, to entice the public of this upcoming release. And the single was The Boxer. Hands down, one of the duo's greatest songs. The song was written by Paul Simon. Not sure what Garfunkel actually did in the band, but it was when they were at a low point in their time together. They had been doing this music thing for nearly a decade. They were continually criticized because they were bumping up against this surge of British bands with this counterculture. And the song tells the story of a young boy struggling, facing poverty and criticism and loneliness and resignation. And if the lyrics didn't speak for themselves, the recording of the song actually took over 100 hours. And, and the song, the bridge of the song, the singer cries out, that I'm laying down my winter clothes and wishing I was going home, where the New York winters aren't bleeding me, leading me going home. The ironic thing is that Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel were, uh, they were born in Queens, and yet they were writing this song in the Tower of uh, Manhattan, and home felt so distant from where they were in this moment. Have you ever been in this place before? Have you ever ventured off to a distant country because you listened to that voice inside your soul that said that home can't offer what you need, so you went? How long did it take for the proverbial crap to hit the fan? Was it a slow or gradual process, or did it take just a short amount of time? For some, we don't realize it. We don't actually know we are in this place until a moment of rock bottom. And life has no hope. There's no plans. There's no worth. And where do you go to for help in a moment like this? You see, lostness is a dark place. It's a place of despair and cold chill of reality. It's a place that steals your breath. Your hope and your vision to see out of this hellish hole seems to dissipate. This is a, a dark place to be in. And here is this sun. And life and experiencing tremendous errors has a tendency to teach us a thing or two. And Jesus teaches us that the sun 
experience all that is taken, has taken a toll on his very existence. And his boy, endless screw-ups have brought him to a crossroads. He can wallow in his despair, or he can try to change his circumstances. And the more he acted on his impulses, the further and further from home he traveled, until morality and immaturity no longer were apparent. And weeks and months of, of hunger and loneliness and despair finally brought him closer to the place of reason where he began to think that he could return home not as a son, but become a slave in his father's estate. Jesus says that he comes to his senses. He's changing his way of thinking. The gravity of his choices are, are weighing heavy on him. And so he picks himself up he puts a speech together, and he begins to head home. I don't know if you've ever been at this place in your life where you recognize the choices you've made and the circumstances you're on, but the road back home is just as long and winding as the road it took to get you where you're coming from. And imagine this boy, as he travels along the way, he's reliving every mistake, every cruel word of regret and self-hatred that he was experiencing. The weight of the guilt is, is bearing down on him. I'm sure every step he must have questioned his decision to go home. Imagine the shame of facing those that he turned away from. Surely his father was going to turn him away or maybe even worse, kill him. So he decides to play the scenario in his head of what he's going to say when his father, when he returns, he will fall down on his hands and knees and beg his father to, to maybe just make him a lowly servant in his estate. See, the road home is difficult. And this is what true repentance looks like in our life. It's recognizing our mistakes, it's understanding that something has to change, and embracing the consequences for our actions but that doesn't mean it's easy. It's a long and winding road through repentance. And you truly don't know what's going to greet you on the other side, quite possibly a begrudging and vengeful father. See, too often the long and winding nature of repentance leads us away from ever taking it. It's so much easier to, to not own up to things, to not say I'm sorry, to not change our way of life, that we choose to just stay where we are. And yet, this is when Jesus' parable takes a different turn, because Jesus says this in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring a fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I love how Jesus says that while the son was a long way off, the father saw the son and was filled with compassion. The Greek word used here is spalognon, which means he had this emotion that came from the bowels of his existence. It's a compassion that came from his inner core. 
The image given is that the father was always looking for the son's return. And when he saw him, he was filled with a compassion that came from the very existence of his being. You see, this is the type of father that God is. God is a restorative father. And the relationship between Jesus and God teaches us this. The very act of sending his son to live and to walk and to teach and to minister and to die and to resurrect verifies that God is a restorative father. And Jesus' parable of two sons is the ultimate narrative of God's restorative nature seen through the father. God desires to give us freedom, allowing us to experience our mistakes, but to also pour out unimaginative grace and empowerment to all of us on our own. You see, God teaches us what the Father could and should look like. God is a Father who should be honored and respected for God's authority and God's obedience to such things. But when we fail to see and fall short, is God deserves the respect and allegiance of allowing us to learn from God. But God isn't the type of Father that we imagine at times. Because sometimes we have a mixed up perspective of the experience we might have had with our earthly fathers. Even to Jesus' Jewish and Roman audience listening to this parable, this would have seemed unreasonable. God's fatherhood is this amazing thing of tenderness and compassion and kindness and grace. God is the ultimate caregiver and protector and provider. This is the ultimate father, the one who mends the gaping hole left in our lives from our choices, providing grace and strength to become something better. But the story isn't finished because Jesus continues to say that out in the fields, hard at work is the other son, the older son who hears this party that's going on back at home. And when he comes across the servant, he asks what's going on. Your brother is back safe and sound. Your father is throwing a party for his return. The servant excitedly told him. But the older brother was not excited. He was angry and resentful. He wouldn't move. So his father came out to console him. This is ridiculous, dad. This son of yours spat in your face. He wasted your money and how has come back and has nothing left. Meanwhile, I've been working my rear end off for you and you won't even let me throw a party for me and my friends, but you'll throw a celebration for him. The father's sympathetic response is, you've always been with me and what I have is yours, son. But celebrate this good news of what was dead is alive again. What was lost is found. See, I wonder if for some of us, we maybe weren't able to connect with the younger son because we've never actually made those outward and visible mistakes in our life. But our lostness is like the older brother. Physically and outwardly, we've never ventured away from home, but emotionally, And mentally and spiritually, we are just as far from the confines of the estate. And if we were to search the dark places of our mind, would we find things like jealousy, entitlement, and hatred, and swift justice, and judgment and condemnation towards others? 
when others fail to meet our expectations or offend us, we become bitter and wounded and angry and filled with anxiety and hypertension and resentful and vengeful, turning towards grudges and hostility and retribution. You see, when we struggle with the same lostness of the elder brother, we, we want our brother to suffer and the screw-ups around us to suffer for the pathetic losers that they are. And we want our father to punish them, to, to cut them off, because that's what they deserve. Why should there be grace? Why should there be celebration when he comes crawling back home? Why should he be wearing the same type of clothes that I am? Lord, throw some rags on him and put him out with the servants. Are you lost in legalism? Are you lost in hate-filled grudges and unpaid debts? Do you believe that the Father's love should be earned by righteousness? You see, the same long and winding road of the younger brother must be ventured by the elder brother. It not, might not be physically and outwardly obvious of living in a pig pen, but inside we deal with the nasty and deep emotional and spiritual and mental craters of our life. And like the younger brother, this older brother needs to change his way of thinking and living too. Life is not about grudges and discrimination and privilege and animosity. So this older brother has to make a choice too to go on the long and winding road of repentance. See, repentance is found in trust and gratitude towards our Father. Trust and gratitude brings us to a place where we can embrace God's compassion for not just ourselves, but also for other people. And the impact of choosing to forgive other people who have wronged us is a release to the very chains that bind up our soul. In fact, researchers have found that forgiveness reduces the negative effect of depression symptoms. It restores positive thinking. It restores relationships. It reduces anxiety and strengthens spirituality. It raises self-esteem. It provides a sense of hope. It creates a greater capacity for conflict management and ability to cope with stress in our life. But how often are we finding ourselves in the pigsty of grudges and judgment and hatred towards others for their choices? Strange thing about Jesus' parable is that it's left open-ended. We don't know what happens. Did the eldest brother choose to change? We're left simply with the grace-filled plea of the father. This parable of the two sons. The oldest son's lostness is the hardest to identify in our lives because it's masked oftentimes in self-righteousness and self-created pity. But like the elder brother, we too are called to change. It's time to let go of our grudges and the burdens of past and present mistakes that others have committed against us. It's time to realize that we too have flaws and we too screw up. It's time to stop judging those who outwardly are in lostness with our inward prejudice towards them. It's time to stop believing that we are entitled to bless and honor others with the grace of God based on our judgment in our life. As one author put it, in order to 
grasped some small part of God's love, you have to understand that it's infinite and for everybody. God didn't create one part of humanity to love and another part to destroy. God loves us all. Our problems with each other are our own. I think this parable teaches us that it's time to, to change our way of thinking and living. Both when it's outward and obvious and when it's inward and unobvious to others. Let's go back to Simon and Garfunkel for just a second, the boxer. In many regards, uh, the story is a young man starving and struggling and wanting to quit the concrete jungle of New York City. But the song is called The Boxer, not The Young Man. The song closes in the final verses was this. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade, and he carries all the reminders of every glove that laid him down and cut him till he cried out. In his anger and his shame, I am leaving, I am leading but the fighter still remains. At the right time, when all hope was lost, the young man is ready to quit, and there stands a boxer. This boxer is the supreme champion because he bears the scars of many blows and fights, yet the boxer remains. The boxer hangs in there. The boxer sticks with it. The boxer finishes even after receiving blow after blow. I am leaving, I am leaving, but the fighter still remains. This is the father in the parable. This is God. See, the purpose of this parable is, is three parts. One is to teach us how we identify with our lostness, but the second piece is to help us understand the deep love that God has for us as God stands there and takes every blow that we experience in our life. Isn't it annoying just how much God loves screw-ups isn't annoying how much God loves people who don't have their act together. And yet that's what we learned from this parable, that God's love is immeasurable. It's something that we cannot understand. It's something that loves a son that, that spit in his face. It's something about loving a son that was caught up in his own righteousness and arrogance. And yet the father remains. This is a God whose love goes beyond what we understand and can fathom. It's a God who loves us enough that sent God's Son into the world to experience our brokenness, to experience the blows of our existence, and yet God allowed God's Son to experience and to give His bayon, give His life for us to experience new life. This remarkable aspect of the parable of the two sons that God loves us more than we can imagine. I have two daughters, and I love all of you. But there is no way I'd let my children die for any of you. And so I cannot fully comprehend God's willingness to let Jesus experience the ultimate gift of sacrifice for our brokenness. Can we accept our own lostness but equally important, can we accept the unbelievable measure of God's grace and love in our life? The last thing I believe Jesus wants to teach us from this parable is to embrace the role of the Father. See, it's only through experiencing being lost and found, being plucked out of darkness and put into light, being broken and being made whole, can we truly understand the role of the Father. 
And as we experience the immense love of God, as God is transforming our lives through God's grace and mercy, God is calling us to embrace the role of the Father, to find joy and good in others rather than negativity and cynicism, to be filled with compassion for those who are lost and to love them from the very depth of our core. So may we love unconditionally as the Father loves us unconditionally. This means that we do not love people so they will change, but we love them despite who they are. You love them and allow God's love in you to do a work in their life. Unconditional loves that no matter how bad you smell or appear from your lostness, I'm going to love you anyways. And let it be known that this is what happens when we love others. It's painful. There's grief. There's heartache. We suffer. And yet it is through love that lives are transformed. So as we consider God's love for us this morning, may we consider becoming more like the Father, who outwardly and expectantly is waiting for lost things to come home. But may we not be content with simply waiting, but may we instead venture out into the wilderness and to the foreign countries, seeking to save that which is lost.